it's nice because the other buildings that we've done have been a little bit older, more in Hamilton. So this one is nice where it's all concrete block construct, like concrete slab construction. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey everybody, I'm Sarah Larby. Welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? Today is the first day of the rest of my life. It is my first day of freedom from the nine to five world. I'm super excited. October 1st, 2020 was my last day in the job world, the corporate world. And, you know, I'm super excited. I'm super sad. I mean, it was an amazing team. I had the best boss in the world and the company was amazing. But I will say that it is a job at the end of the day and I was working for somebody else. Now, that's not to say I'm just going to do nothing. And I still love to do real estate. I still am going to be active and I'm still going to be doing things. It's just not going to be in the corporate world. It's not going to be in the job world. So, you know, this was always a goal of mine. This was why I started real estate investing in the first place. I'm super excited to be able to not need the job income anymore and, uh, you know, take the, some of the time back and figure out what I want to do and how I want to do it and where I want to, you know, work from or work in, in quotations because I love real estate and I probably always be, will be podcasting or doing something webinars or whatnot, because it is truly my passion, but I can follow my passion. And that's not to say that I'm going to stop earning different types of income because there's, it's important not to just have one source of income. And, uh, you know, as many people say, you have to have a few different sources of income to become wealthy and real estate is great. And it's definitely a source, but it is not the only source of income. And you don't always want to have just one source of income. So I am super excited and, uh, and thank you guys. If you have been listening to this for a while, thank you for your support. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you for being here with me through this journey. And there's going to be lots more podcasts to come. And, uh, and I just want to say, you know, I couldn't have done it without you guys, your encouragement. And also, you know, if this is something that you want to do, I'll tell you, it's not going to be quick, but it doesn't have to take 30 years either. So I'm going to be enjoying this weekend, my first weekend of freedom with the girl, the girlfriends, and uh, we're going to be at the cottage. So got uh, a group of five girls and we're going to be talking about just things in general and catching up. It's been a little bit of time that we've all seen each other with everything that's been happening, but it is uh, the first day of my new freedom. Today's guest is also an amazing investor, Mark Gano, who started investing at 18 years old and he currently owns over 100 properties. Super, super great. Many insights that he's you know, been able to share. His focus is mainly on multifamily commercial properties, but I'll tell you, this is a guy doing it that's been able to start at a very young age, but keep his mindset in check and in the game and just all the stuff that he's been able to accomplish is tremendous. So Mark Gano, thank you so much for your insights and let's get on with the show. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Sarah? Good, good. So we are recording this. Uh, it is March 24th. It'll probably come out at some point in June, uh, but right now we are in the midst. Hopefully this is in the midst and it hasn't still kept going since June, but we are in the midst of being at home 
We just heard from Ford that Ontario is shutting down all non-essential businesses as of, yes, well, as of actually probably today. Yesterday was 36 hours, so today, tonight, I think it is? Midnight tonight. Midnight tonight. So how are you doing? Doing all right, all things considered. All right, awesome, awesome. So before we get into all the corona stuff which you know I don't know if I, I want to do this for this podcast because I think you have a lot of really interesting things first and foremost how did you get started in real estate to begin with the long version of the story is I first started looking at real estate when I was 15 and my brother and I thought that if we pooled the money we had together we might be able to buy something and so we quickly learned that the only thing we'd be able to buy would be, because quite frankly, we didn't even know about mortgages back then, uh, would be like a bush lot in the middle of nowhere. And we realized that it wouldn't actually do anything for us. We'd have to pay property tax on it. So it would cost us money every year. So we shelved that idea. But then when I was in university, we looked at buying real estate again and ended up buying a house with my uh, roommate at the time in university. All right, awesome. So you bought a house with your roommate. What kind of house was it? How much was it? Where was it? So it was a three-bedroom semi. It was in the Leaside area of Toronto. We bought it for two hundred and thirty thousand in a bidding war. I remember being on the phone when I got the call. Well, actually, even before that, I remember we got home from school and there was a message on the answering machine from a real estate agent saying she found a great house for us but we got to go take a look at it that night so we went and took a look at it around six o'clock that night and she was right it was a great house for us and we took a look at it then we got home we got a call from the real estate agent and she said she asked us what we thought we said hey it's a great house she's like no no no. i need to know right now if you're going to put in an offer because the offers are at seven o'clock I managed to delay them till 7.30 if you're going to put it in offer. So my, my roommate and I chatted about it for a couple minutes and decided, sure, let's throw in an offer. We put in an offer, and then I remember getting a call at 9 o'clock, and uh, it was a real estate agent telling us we had got the house. And I remember walking out to tell my roommate, and I'm like, Craig, we just got the house. And we both sort of looked at each other and I'm like, okay, and kind of thought it was a good thing but not entirely sure if it was a good thing that next morning actually at six something in the morning i was scheduled to get on a plane to go to the bahamas as part of an award that i had won from a job that i had so i was then in the bahamas for the next four days which left my roommate to arrange the mortgage and i remember calling my dad up and telling him great news we bought a house and my dad's like Great, congratulations. And I said, so I just need you to co-sign on the mortgage. <laughs> and my dad said, well, I'm not going to co-sign on a mortgage. I've never been in debt in my life, and I'm, never, and I'm not going to be in debt, and certainly not for a house that you bought. And my response was, uh, in hindsight, sort of very typical for my age, which was, but dad, Craig's dad is going to co-sign. <laughs> um, and my dad said, well, that's great for Craig, but I'm still not co-signing on your house. I said, well, we've already bought it. He said, well, you should have thought about this first. <laughs> um, so a little bit of tough love for my dad, um, which then caused me to get creative. So I turned around and called my brother, 
who had just graduated from university. So he had a job and called him up and said, do you want to buy a house? And since we had already been looking early on in our lives about the possibility of investing, he said, sure. So him, my roommate and I, we all chipped in 10 grand. And thanks to my brother co-signing on the mortgage, we qualified for the mortgage. We put in uh, what would now be considered an illegal basement apartment in it, where my roommate and I lived in the basement. And we assumed that we would just, we had the, the normal three bedrooms upstairs, we would just rent those out to classmates. And we assumed since there was three years left in our program that we would get three people and they'd stay with us for the three years and then we'd sell it when we graduated. I actually counted uh, a number of years ago, we had 15 different people go in and out of that house in those three years. Of course, because students are, well, let's face it, mobile, for <laughs> lack of a better term. Um, we never had a vacancy, but it was just a, a constant uh, a revolving door of people going in and out of that house. And when you decide uh, the market rents, like, did you, did you have an idea of like the strategy when you bought the house that it just kind of fall into place? Well, we actually had did the math on the mortgage and the rest of the carrying costs for the property. So, so we determined that we were going to need to charge what was a normal market rent for student rooms in the area, which was $500 a month, essentially. Um, and we would need to pay our own rent to $500 a month so that there was all five of us paying $500 a month to give us $2,500 a month to carry the property. But then we knew that when we sold the property, we would get a bunch of our, what we had paid in rent over those three years, we'd get that back. So, yeah. So, so did, did you end up selling that one? And is that what happened? Yeah, we ended up uh, selling it up when we graduated and uh, we sold it for, we bought it for 230, we sold it for 290, um, which I mean, over three years isn't a huge amount, but for a couple of kids just graduating university, we, uh, all three of us each got our initial 10,000 back plus uh, an extra 20,000 roughly. And uh, I went into the real world and uh, and then, and then the rest is, uh, the rest is history. So, so what do you have, you know, what's your strategy today? Let's just fast forward a little bit. So that was your first one. So yeah, uh, so that was my first one. Then I went out into the real world and did the real world type of thing and paid off student loans and all that sort of stuff. And once those were all done, then I got back into investing in, in sort of a, a much larger way, I guess. Okay. So there was a gap in between where you were doing no real estate? Yeah. Yeah. There was a gap of about six or seven years while I paid off student loans and stuff. Okay. So let's fast forward to today. What's your strategy today and what does your portfolio look like? So my strategy today is value add multifamily. So we buy sort of mid-sized multifamily buildings, uh, 12 unit, 20 unit type buildings. And, um, we pool together some investors. Uh, we, we invest with some partners uh, and buy the buildings. And then as we turn them over, we bring people, we do the renovations to bring people in that are paying more rent and increase the value of the buildings. So that's what I focus on now. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. So multifamily. Yes. So now are you doing this by yourself? Are you still doing it with your brother? I'm guessing maybe not your roommate, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, I only ever did one deal with my roommate. uh, Come to think of it. I ended up doing a number of deals, my brother and I, when after that six or seven year hiatus, we, my brother and I were the ones that were investing together for the next 10 years, let's call it. Um, And we bought a, a decent amount of property together. Um, it wasn't a hundred percent where every single deal was each other's. We sort of have an unwritten rule where if any, if either of us got a, got a deal, we, uh, bring it up to the other brother, invite them in, see if they wanted to invest. If they wanted to invest, then we'd invest together. If they didn't want to invest, then we could do it on our own. Um, so we did that for a while. Um, my brother and I, we still own a number of properties together, but these last few purchases, uh, the multifamily stuff, I, I've been doing on my own and with a, another partner. Okay. Now, are you doing this with like JVs, private money? How are you getting these financed? So the ones that I did with my brother, the first ones all the way through, we just self-financed all of those. 
Um, and then it's interesting because I actually took two sort of six year hiatuses. Uh, there was between university and when I first started investing in real estate where I was paying off student loans. And then um, there was another six year hiatus when um, after my daughter was born and, and eventually my son was born, I took six years off and I didn't invest in real estate for those six years. Um, and then have gotten back into it in the past couple of years um, now that the kids are a little older. And so in the past couple of years, these are ones that we've been focusing on the, the multifamily value add plays. And these are ones that we're focusing with uh, raising investor money to, to pool that together to take down some bigger deals. Awesome. So what's an example of deals that you like to buy that you're like, I'm going to be able to create some great value. And let's talk about timelines as well, because you're buying these, I'm guessing, in Ontario. Currently buying in Ontario, yes. Okay. Uh, I do have investments uh, in Alberta, BC, um, and I did actually invest overseas as well uh, years and years ago. All right. So, so what's an example of a deal that you're you'd be interested in buying, and how do you get it to uh, to hire ARV essentially? Yeah. So, I mean, we actually have got a, a live deal right now that we're still in DD phase with. It's a 12 unit uh, building in Barrie. It was built in 1998. So it's, uh, it's, it's nice because the other buildings that we've done have been a little bit older, more in Hamilton. So this one is nice where it's all concrete block construct, like concrete slab construction, pitched roof. Um, everything is relatively nice in the building. But again, we're looking at an average rent right now of 1164. And uh, current market rent on that building as is is 1450. And with some really minor renovations, I'm talking about $10,000 worth of renovations, we're confident that we can boost that up to about 1575 per month. Awesome. So obviously, what, what do you do to get the tenants to essentially choose to leave? Or do you kind of just wait and hope that they leave on their own? Like, how do you handle that? So first and foremost, it comes with actually choosing the building properly. Um, I use the Hamilton building that we bought last year as, as a really good example of this. When I was looking at the Hamilton building, one of the things that I noticed was all the out of the 12 units that were there, 10 of the, the units were occupied by millennial couples. And I, as, as I joke, I mean, millennial couples, that relationship is unstable. And it's either going to go well or it's not going to go well. But either way, considering that building was all one bedroom units, it meant that either way they were moving out on their own. Either the relationship goes well and they get married, they have kids and they outgrow a one bedroom unit or a relationship doesn't go well and they, <laughs> they give their notice. Right. So that unit, that building, for instance, we purchased that in March and by January 1st, we'd had five or 12 units turnover, just natural turnover. And then um, you just take the advantage there to, to renovate. You can bring up the rent at that point in time. Yeah, that, that building, the average rent was $904 a month when we bought it. And the market rent was $1,450. So, and required about a $40,000 renovation for each unit there. So as they move out, we renovate, we, we bring them really to, to as close to condo standards as you can get on a 70 or 80 year old <laughs> apartment, 12, 12 unit apartment building. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's quite interesting. And then essentially, at what point do you go back to the bank? And I'm guessing that the whole point is, is, to, is to reuse your money and to refinance it out once you've got the net operating income increased. Well, exactly, exactly. So we we set up that that mortgage on the one in Hamilton. We set it up with uh, a two year mortgage. The first year was interest only. Second year was amortized. But we're already because we had so many units turnover in the first year. We're already in talks with the bank to go back and refinance that out right now, which means we're going to be able to return money to the investors that much quicker than we anticipated. Now, your investors are they just money investors, or do, are they in equity as well? You mean debt versus equity? Yeah, like are they, do they get a, a share of the pie? Like is there, or are they just loading out money for a, per, a fixed percentage? Uh, so we do equity investors. So we're just uh, at this point partnering with the friends, family, close business associates. Um, it's not something that we're syndicating at this point in time. It's not something we're going out to the public and, and advertising for. Um, so we simply bring them in as, as equity partners in the deal. Okay. Awesome. So what's next for you? And I mean, 2020 is already like a crazy year, but, I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, uh, what are some of the things that you, that you do want to accomplish once all this craziness and chaos subsides a little? Yeah. So I'd set a goal to, to buy another hundred doors this year. Like I said, I, I had, had grown to a hundred doors before I took the, the six years off after uh, we had the kids and uh, then I've decided that uh, I've been on, I've been on the sidelines for a little too long. It's time to to get back in it. So I decided that I wanted to do another hundred doors this year. I'm not sure how COVID's going to impact that. To be honest, 
I think it's actually going to make it easier to acquire the 100 doors, but time will tell. One of the, the hardest things up until COVID hit was actually deal flow, where it's quite difficult to find not only find a building, but find a good building. I mean, I'll talk to people. I mean, there's, there's a, if you're wanting to invest in condos, there's a billion condos that you can invest in and they're all virtually the same. But if you're wanting to invest in 20 unit or 30 unit multifamily buildings, there's only so many of them around. There's only so many that are for sale. And quite frankly, there's only so many of those that you would actually want to buy. Yeah. So, that's, a great, that's a great point. Like, how are you finding, like before COVID, like, how are you finding these deals? ground and pound, um, just, uh, just networking as, as much as I can. So having connection, like talking to actual building owners that, that I know of, talking to property managers, talking to realtors, anybody and everybody I, prop, I, I can. I try to find, see if I can get the deals through them. Some of the deals come through MLS, some of the deals come uh, privately. I'm, I'm not picky on where they come from, I'm just picky on what type of deals I, I accept. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what are some deals that you would say avoid these types of, uh, of deals? They're not good for you. And, and what does that look like? So, I mean, probably the best example is when I was actually doing my research on the Hamilton building, another building in Hamilton came up that had a lot of the things that I would normally like. It was, con it was purpose built. It was concrete construction. It had below market rents. It was under managed, but it had the potential for to be good things. But again, getting back to the demographics, I went and looked at that building. It was, it was a smaller building. It was only a sixplex, but, and I met three out of the six tenants and all three were 70 year old single men. And to me, they're never going to move anywhere. The building they're can the literally be, they're, they're lifers. The building can literally be crumbling down around them and they won't move. So in that situation, it doesn't matter how, how much a, of a difference there is between current market rent and what those tenants are paying, because if they never move out, you can never, you can never realize that increase in value. Yeah, absolutely. And like cash for keys, I know people talk about it, but it doesn't always happen. Like if somebody's so far below market and you're offering them even 5,000 and they know that they go somewhere else and they're going to chew through that in three months versus maybe 12 of what they're currently at, they're mm -hmm. not going to take your five grand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate that I haven't had to do cash for keys. It's not something that I like to do. It's not something that I want to do that that could very easily change in the future but i i like i mean if you pick the building well you're going to have a better chance of having the natural turnover happen for you um and i also when i when i do my due diligence on the building like this this building we're analyzing in Barrie right now i'm not expecting to turn over all the units so when i do when i run my analysis it's in order for me to hit the the return that I'm looking for on the building, the return that I want to provide my partners on the building. I, when I run my numbers, I run my numbers assuming no more than 75% of the units turn over. I don't, I don't want to assume hundred percent and I don't want to have, I definitely don't want to have to need hundred percent of the units to turn over to make that building work. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point for sure. So you're in Barrie. How are you managing all of your units that you've got currently? 
I've always had property managers for all my buildings. The only things I've ever managed myself is a couple of rent to owns. Um, I've, I mean, I've been investing for a number of years and I've done a number of different things. So I, I have done rental owns, I have done burrs, I have done flips, I've done single families, I've done duplexes, triplexes and, and multifamilies, I've done bridge financing. I mean, I've done RSP loans, I've done lots of different things, but I've always used third-party property managers. Um, one, because when I'm, when I'm investing in Alberta or when I'm investing in BC, I can't possibly manage those myself here in Ontario. You have to have third-party property managers. But even the buildings that are here in Ontario, I always use third-party property managers. And to me, it's about paying the professionals who are good at what they're good at to do the job. I... When, when, I, when I talk with other investors, I, the, the analogy I use is it's like painting. So sure, if your apartment turned over, you could probably learn how to paint an apartment and clean it up yourself. Just like you could learn how to be a property manager. You could learn all the different rules and what sort of forms you need to send and when. But at the end of the day, is your time best spent spending your weekend repainting a unit and cleaning it out, or are you better painting like paint hiring a painter to do that unit for you so that you can do things such as finding the next deal or talking to investors. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. I mean, for buildings, a hundred percent, I wouldn't want to manage those. Like the single families are a whole different ball game, right? But once you get into multifamily, hiring it out is good. How do you find a good property manager? Like how do you know there's going to be, you know, the right one for you in Edmonton or Calgary? Trial and error is, is one of them, uh, of course, but I mean, as with anything else, there, there is a community out there. And so if I'm investing in BC, then I'm talking to the community in BC even before I go out there to invest. And I'm, I'm already building the team out in BC when it comes to realtors and property managers that are out there. So I make sure I'm comfortable with who those people are before I go out there and buy the properties. And then once I go out and buy the properties, I'm still am meeting with the 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 realtors and the property managers at the time. And it's possible that, uh, that you get, uh, even with the recommendations from other investors in the community that are local to that area, it is possible that you get one that doesn't work out as well. And then you simply have to reach back out in the community and, and pivot and, and shift over to a new one. Yeah, absolutely. Learn how to manage the manager. But it's, it's also important that you know what's procedures you would want to do for your properties so that you're also figuring out what theirs are and that you're, you go hand in hand, you know, screening tenants. Are they just putting the first, like there's some great property managers out there and there's some that are like, they're just going to call themselves property managers and they're going to start and they don't really know a whole lot about the landlord tenant, you know, rules and regulations <laughs> or residential tenancies acting on oh, yeah. Ontario or have the processes in place to be able to really hold the, the ship in the right direction and so property management i mean i think it can make or break your investments oh definitely so so something that i did for instance when i went out looking for property managers like i said first i went to the community of real estate investors to to get referrals and recommendations then when i was out there i met with them but then i also asked those property managers for examples of buildings that they are currently managing and took a look at those buildings to see how what sort of physical condition they were in 
what sort of tenant profile was in there. And then I actually spoke to some of the tenants in those buildings to see what they thought of the building, what they thought of the property management, what sort of things that they had difficulty with, what their, their complaints and concerns were about the, the property manager. That's a great tip guys. That hundred percent is that that's the tip of the show. I feel like <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> I love it. So I could keep asking a million questions, but for time purposes, the next part of the podcast is our lightning round. So Mark, I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You can give me the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Bring it on. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at margaret at completepminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. All right, question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? I go back to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Um, sort of oldie but goodie. That's it, yeah. I think if I had to guess, 85% of people love that book and that's their favorite from these questions. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a book that really got a lot of people thinking differently. And with everything, the the change in mindset is the first change that has to occur before you even can fathom going out and buying a rental property you have to have that mindset of i'm actually want to go out and do something that's going to create some passive income that's going to potentially lead to something that i can use in my retirement down the road but it's it's the mental change that has to happen first yeah absolutely awesome question number two what is your favorite podcast yours of course other than mine other than yours. Admittedly, because I'm kind of old and just getting into listening to podcasts, I've listened to Dave, a few of Dave Dubose, um, Millionaire Mind Intense with Patrick Francie is another one. Yeah, I'm just getting started in the world of podcasts. Very cool. Question number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? Well, I have a soon-to-be four-year-old and a soon-to-be six-year-old. So what I do for fun usually involves toys and a child on my back at any given moment in time. (laughs) Awesome. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, and you know what, I've always asked this question, but now with COVID, (laughs) it's it's more so close. So question number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Yeah, I mean, again, you can take away somebody's money, but you're not going to take away their mindset. You're not going to take away their knowledge. And in in all honesty, I've been having these sort of conversations with my wife in these past couple of weeks, given what was going on with COVID. And that's the whole thing. I mean, even if I lost everything and, and went bankrupt, then I can still... I still know how to analyze a building. I still know how to analyze a property. I still know how to go out and find that deal. And then it's simply, if you've got a good deal, there's got to be somebody out there with money who can, who can help you find it and help you make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? First question is, do they want to be hands-on or hands-off? And part of that goes with, do they know which end of a hammer to hold? If 
their very first getting started, I would always recommend that they actually partner with somebody who's done it before. Whether that be partnering with some, if they wanted to do flips because they want to be hands-on and they, they know how to, if not do some construction themselves, but at least know what's involved with it so that they can manage it and oversee it. Then partner with somebody who's been successful doing flips and do a couple with them before you go out and do it on your own. If you're not somebody that wants to be an active partner, then find somebody who has done a number of deals and is looking for passive partners, um, like myself with these projects that we're doing now. All right, great advice. Thank you for playing the lightning round. Mark, where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more? So because I'm old school, I still do email and phone calls. So email is uh, mark.gano at gmail.com. Phone number, email me first and I'll, send, and I'll send you my phone number. Probably is the best way to do it. I actually, about a month ago, got on Instagram for the first time. I'm trying to join the 1990s. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's hilarious because you're saying you're old, but you actually look really young. So like, I don't know. I don't know what the secret is. <laughs> I chose my parents well. <laughs> so Instagram, I am at the armchair investor, which I'm surprised nobody else actually took that Instagram handle, but that is me. Mm, clever handle. And Mark, can you spell your name so people can email you? Yes. G-O-N-N-E-A-U. And it's Mark with a K, as I like to joke, English first name, French last name. The, the French was bred out of me. <laughs> Very nice. Any final last words of advice for the listeners? Well, I mean, now that we're in the thick of this whole COVID thing, it's kind of hard not to do a COVID type of advice, which is like buckle in and build a war chest because this is the time when you need it. But outside of COVID type messages, it's, the biggest thing is your mindset and and then the biggest thing is is really my best advice is to partner with somebody that's done it before when you first get started it's learn from their mistakes you i i admittedly did everything myself uh going through and while yes i was i mean i was quite successful i could have shaved down my learning curve by years if i had partnered with other people who were Success, more successful than I was and learn from their mistakes. It really is a way to, to exponentially increase the speed at which you're able to accomplish things. Absolutely. Very well said. Mark, thank you so much for being on Where Should I Invest and sharing your wonderful insights, knowledge, expertise. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, 
I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.